So uh, I, I don't know how relatable it is. A lot of you are probably more spiritual than I am in a lot of ways. Uh, that's not even tongue-in-cheek. Um, there, there's a number of times that I, I struggle with things in, in my faith, and, and particularly maybe when it comes to my, my kids and like things that I want them to, to see and experience, things that I, I, I know I hope for and long for, but I, I want them to know about. Um, Ava had her birthday um, this week on the 14th, and it was, uh, it was great, and she was planning on having a pool party, and uh, I don't know if you knew the weather forecast, but we were watching it. It was raining um, from like 2 until 3 in the morning, and I was like, that's not going to work, and this was like the only thing that she had wanted to do, and there was like, you know, all sorts of stuff that, that was um, just not going well, and they wanted to get glow sticks and put them in the pool, all sorts of things like this. So she had all these plans, and there was no real plan B. And, um, and I was with her as, as we were picking up those, those glow sticks. And I said, you know what? Let's rebuke the storm. I said, you know, I, and she's like, real dad? And I was like, yeah. And so like very loudly in a parking lot, <laughs> I rebuked the storm. And it rained harder. <laughs> and then it broke. And it stopped raining for the entirety of the whole night. Um, you know, and, and I, I wanted to acknowledge that I, I, I don't know what to make of all that, right? You know, there, there's that, that funny line of like, yeah, I, I say it out loud, I rebuke the storm and it rains harder <laughs> and I have to drive back through that. And then it stops. And I, and I, I told Ava, I said, you know, that I, I really, I want to do this with you. I want to, let, let's pray. I know that this is really what you wanted for your birthday. And, and I think it matters. I think it matters. And I want to call that out even to myself to put that, that there because, you know, we, we live in a funny world sometimes where the things that we hope for, the things that we long for, aren't always realized right away. Um, so I've, I've got a, a, a series here that, that, that we've been doing on humility. I just realized my, my monitor's not turned on, so I won't be able to see this with you. But um, th- this is going to go back a little bit into internet lore. So if you've been on the internet as long as I have, uh, you, you probably came across Double Rainbow Guy. And uh, if you haven't seen this in a while, because th- this is, like I said, this is going way back. So if, you, if you've never seen this, Leah had never seen this before, uh, I encourage you to just allow yourself to get lost in the beauty of the double rainbow. If you have seen it, if you're aware, bear with me through the whole thing, because it's a ride of all kinds of emotions. Um, I have it on good authority, as he, as he says, there were no substances involved in his reaction. That will make more sense as you see it, but we've got a video for you. But I, I do want to say, the, the, there's a whole gambit of emotions, Right. You got the splendor, you've got awe, then you've got this, what does it mean? Like looking for the rational stuff for this and then crying catharsis and you come out on the other side just kind of feeling like you've been through it. And, and again, he claims no substances involved. I'm going to give him that because I don't know if you've ever been like by yourself in the woods for a period of time, but, but I, I tend to like to go backpacking and, and camping by myself. And when you're alone, things can get weird. Like you, you touch parts of your soul that you that haven't seen the light of day in a while while and you, you're you're a little raw you're a little emotional and when you get hit by something like this it, it tends to resonate in a very powerful way um one of my favorite parenting quips came from my my brother-in-law 
And I remember this was a Christmas long, long ago before I had kids. And we were at their house, and they had these dinosaur placemats on their table. And I was kind of giving them a hard time because, you know, here's a guy in his, you know, late 20s, early 30s with dinosaur placemats. And I'm like, you know, what has happened? It's like the, the minivan driving. Like, oh, what happened to you? You had a sports car. Now you've got a minivan. I'm like, so dinosaur placemats, huh? And with the most serious expression, he says, it's my favorite thing about being a dad. He's like, you get to see the world fresh through their eyes. He's like, all the things that, that like they are experiencing for the first time, it, like, it captures you again. And you're like, dinosaurs, are they not the coolest thing ever? <laughs> like, you know? And he, he had this fresh take that just kind of humbled me to realize again, we become so jaded in our age. We see rainbows and we don't react. You know, there's that famous uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic, right? That if the stars only came out once a year, imagine the crowds that would gather to look at them, right? We're, we're in a world of marvelous wonders, and we have sanitized them, we've removed them from them, and they've become commonplace. And I think that, that our pride, that our experiences have led us to withdraw from a sense of wonder and marvel and awe, which is so important for us. Luke 5, 26, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Luke seven sixteen. fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And Acts two forty three. everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Our, our topic this morning is quite simply awe. This idea of, of being a part of something that is so much beyond our lived experience, so much further than what you can hope for this life to be. And that is what we get when we come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What a topic. And it's amazing, right? Because if you have some of it, it's awesome. If you get too much, it's awful. <laughs> Pride is so often, though, in the way of awe, and because it's definitely not cool to geek out about things, right? You get uncomfortable watching the double rainbow guy because it's like, dude, you're a little over the top, like, right? It, it's not cool to, to be that into something. If, if there's a guy who's really into model trains, like really into model trains, you start to worry about him a little bit because, you know, you want to kind of keep it cool. You, you, you don't want to give yourself to all of this awe and splendor and wonder. But if we get over our pride, and you can just talk to anybody about what they are passionate about. People are the most amazing mirror into the lived experience. To hear what somebody loves, to hear about how somebody learned something, to, to experience that through their eyes has made me appreciate the whole world and all of God's creation. So what is awe? You know when you have it, of course, your jaw drops. You're, you're in a sense of something greater than you, and, and you don't know what to do about it. But I don't think we're in a habit really paying much attention to it. I think when we're struck by awe, we kind of, you know, maybe make a little quick move and then, then try to, to get ourselves together, you know, because we're not in the woods by ourselves. We, 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 we don't give in to the emotion of this. We, we kind of skip over this to the next stuff. And much less, I don't think we understand it through the lens of humility, as we've been saying, we're not thinking less of ourselves, but we're thinking of ourselves less. And awe allows us to do that. Think of ourselves less. In light of all of this splendor, in the light of the glory of the Lord, I think of myself less. 
because it's no longer about me. I'm not the center of this whole thing. There's a double rainbow in the sky, and it's almost a triple rainbow, and I can see end to end. What a glorious day to be alive. How wonderful to be in the presence of God. Sometimes people are just frankly not odd. My dad uh, went to the Grand Canyon, and, uh, and I remember this very vividly. He looked at it and said, that's a big hole. <laughs> it is a splendorously, you know, huge, ginormous, all the, the silly adjectives you can use, hole. But it's showing you so much, right? It's beautiful, the colors, the array, the depth, everything, the history. It's a big hole. My, my heart was actually really hurt with uh, some of the early quotes from the test pilots in NASA who were um, unfortunately uninterested in space, saying it's a whole lot of nothing up there. Okay, that's technically true, that's why we call it space, but it's kind of cool though, right? <laughs> you know? And you're going really fast to get there. there there's a lot of wonderful things. Uh, so what is the sense of awe? Why do you sometimes we, we feel it and sometimes people seem removed from it? What's going on? They surveyed people around the world, which is a kind of a, a safe way of, of figuring out what causes somebody to feel awe. And do you know what the most common reported form of awe was from? It, it really surprised me. It's not what I expected. Witnessing human kindness. Across cultures, across societies, people were in awe watching another person be kind. Like, what an amazing thing about humans. Like, like the fact that we feel a sense of awe watching a human be nice to each other, that's going to give me a sense of, wow, what a great world this is. And I think it makes sense. I, I've talked about him before, that, that guy from North Carolina, the YouTube channel, Mr. Beast, who gives his money away like that's his, his shtick. Like, the idea of seeing somebody be kind, the idea of seeing somebody be generous is jaw-dropping to us. It causes us to be uh, in a sense of awe, like, wow, we don't have to be selfish. <laughs> can we really be that good? Can, can humans really be that way? There's these things on the internet sometimes where, where people act like we're a, a creature to be studied. It's like if one human really falls in love with another human, they'll, they'll give them the shiniest rock they can find and they'll just wear it on their fig finger for the rest of their lives, right? What, how cute are humans? Did you know that they could do that? Like this idea of looking at ourselves through this lens in a, in a way that we can appreciate what this life is about. But it wasn't just witnessing a human kindness. Cooperative events were, the, were number two. People cheering together. Or people, they actually said this, corporate prayer and worship is the number two reported sense of awe. Church, this is our wheelhouse. Like, why are we not the most awe-filled place week after week? Why are we trying to argue people into the kingdom of heaven? Why are we trying to combat them with, with reason and all these things, which is a sense, a part of awe, but not the entirety of it? Why are we, we offering the law as the way into the kingdom of God when Jesus came to offer grace as the way into the presence of God? Why are we trying to debate? Let us draw people and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. I think if we are given to be a people of awe, we will reflect the glory of our Lord so much more beautifully. If we are a place that, that understands when we come together, it's not about us. It's not about the things I can understand. It's about the things I can't understand. It's not about what I can do. It's about the fullness of what Jesus has done and is continuing to do right now. Those things that are beyond our human experience, those things that take us from a place of being a, just another organization 
to being a place where we are confronted with the reality of the living God. And that's what I want us to be. To study awe, they actually, uh, they had an MRI and they put people in the MRI machine to examine what happens to the brain uh, during a, a sense of awe. And, and I love this, to, to get a person into a state of awe, they, they actually played uh, science videos, the slow motion guys, you know that on, on the internet again, like here's a water balloon at, at one 1,000 speed, watch what happens, or planet Earth. And they, they would show like, you know, here are the penguins waddling down, the, you know, all of these things that, that, that just brought people to this, this sense of awe. Because again, our brains need to be engaged. And I think that this is a mistake we sometimes make. We think that, oh, you're not, you're not thinking about these things. Again, remember double rainbow guy. What does it mean? It's, it's amazing to, to look at this stuff and to realize who we are in light of this new information. To realize I'm a part of this world where Jesus walked and healed and was killed. He was murdered and he raised from the dead. This is our faith. This is our world. This is what it's about with the farthest stars and the closest blade of grass. So they studied people in these MRI machines. And when we feel awe, the parts of the brain that define self deactivate. Is that not just the most amazing thing? When you are in a sense of awe, we're less aware of ourselves. We kind of shut down all this ego. We kind of shut down this narcissism because we are in awe of something that's going on out there. And I think we know that, we feel that, that makes sense to us, but it's what happens. That's the way your brain functions when we experience something that brings out awe. Uh, this was happening on the, on the campus of Berkeley. And so what they would do is they would take students out, they would go to this eucalyptus grove and they would look up into the eucalyptus trees, which was really beautiful for just a couple minutes to feel the sense of awe. But in the control condition, they would take him to look at a science building. <laughs> so so the, the, the one group would go and look at eucalyptus trees. The other is looking at a human man-made building. I don't know what the science buildings look like, but I am assuming that they're not that attractive. So the people that were in nature that saw something beautiful, that were realizing the beauty of this world, they would say, here's some questionnaires you can fill out. And they would take a look at these questions. And these were uh, well-validated measures of how narcissistic are you? Do you think the world would be better if you ran it? That was the, the question that they were asking. Is, is the world better because of, of who you are? And, and if you were in charge, you know, would this world be a better place? Awe diminished the narcissistic tendencies that people have. If you're staring at nature, this idea that I'm the most important thing, this idea that I could do things better, it goes down just like that. How amazing is awe that it conditions our soul and our ego and our self. It also diminishes tendencies towards entitlement. Some of the questions were things like, hey, you know, for taking part in this experiment, we're, we're going to pay you. What do you think is, is a worthy price for your time and, and the fact that you participate in this? People who were in the sense of something that caused them awe asked for less. <laughs> they didn't feel as entitled. They were not being as greedy. It, it wasn't like they got to get what's theirs. It's like, oh, you know, I don't know, $5. You know, other people are like, no, $50, $100. It was a dramatic difference in how people responded to these questionnaires. Another one, they went to this uh, incredible replica of, of a T-Rex skeleton. It's like 12 feet tall, and they're, they're just standing in the presence of this thing. And so then they would ask people uh, one more uh, prompt. 
it was just I am dot 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 and they'd have to fill it in, right? So I am what? I am, you know, American. I am right-handed. I am a mammal. I'm two-legged. You know, whatever people might fill in to, to think about who they are. And then they coded their responses and uh, this was done across the countries as well. And what they found is that where America is rather hyper-individualistic, right? We are all about the self and, and this idea of who we are naturally. When we're in the presence of something that causes us awe, we are much more collective. It's not about the things that made me unique. It's about who we are collectively. So we would see things like um, collective characteristics. I'm human. I'm a, a student. I'm somebody like who breathes air and all these things compared to like, I am Josh. I am a, a, a you know, CS graduate. Whatever those things might be, we became more collective. So how amazing that awe legitimately affects our brains. Awe diminishes the self in a good way, combats narcissism and greed. It promotes community. It lowers stress. It enhances well-being. And generally speaking, I have to say we are not an awe-filled people. I just don't think that the common experience of most people today is to go around and to experience awe in a way that is actually satisfying to our souls. So I'm going to talk about encountering God. Uh, we use the, the, the term shock and awe, right? And what do you think of when I say that? Because this became pretty polarized. It's warfare, right? We're talking about warfare. We're talking about how we want to amaze people with the, the strength and splendor of, of our, our standing forces. And it's the opposite approach to winning the hearts and minds of people, Right? You want to wow them into like, oh my goodness, I have to submit because this guy is going to really have his, his way with it. whatever he wants to do. He has an unlimited power over me. Or do we want them to say, this guy has my best interest in mind. And when they come here, we, we know that they're going to do something. Uh, I think it sounded like yet another Josh etymology joke that I made in the beginning, but it's profound how the word awful has changed throughout history. Awful really meant to be, used to mean full of awe. That was really the, the meaning. It, it was what awesome kind of means as we think about it now. This idea of, of a reverence, this idea of I'm so struck by something, it is awful. It, it, it brings me to this place of just being confronted with the reality of a, of a universe that's far beyond my comprehension. This, this place is awful. But I think what happens and what we've realized, particularly in, in, in our Christian circles, is to be confronted with God himself and to not maybe know where we stand with that can be awful in the sense of I'm undone, in the sense of I'm, I'm nothing compared to him. And this idea of, of it, it's, it's too much for me to bear, and this idea of I, I really i am going to melt like wax, right? We have this in our scripture, right? That, that we, we can't stand in his presence. And, and this idea of, of being awful, I think as people are reading this and they're meaning reverent fear, they're meaning that all this healthy stuff, it becomes for those people who are not necessarily sure where they stand, that word really does sound awful. I don't know how I could possibly be before the creator God who made all this with just a word and, and hope to get through this. Habakkuk 2.20, we read this in our pre-service prayer. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Do we realize what we're in the presence of? Do we realize with reverential awe what we come together to participate in? In Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. 
He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. What a profound idea that when we encounter God, do we know where we stand? Do we have enough confidence in the grace of Jesus Christ to know that I will not be undone, to know that Jesus is on my side, to know that his blood, his sacrifice is sufficient for me, to know that I can look at the depths of everything, the, the, the worst of humanity, the worst of myself, and come through on the other side, not barely making it, but actually treasured and improved because of the grace of God. That's what the gospel story is. Look at all this stuff. Look at the worst parts of humanity. Look at how terrible we have been. And then look at how good God is. Be, be understanding that he is more powerful than anything. But understand that he said all this with a word. And yet his heart beats for us. Yet he sent his son to die, to bring us back by grace and mercy. In this whole series, we've been trying to look at, um, at Christ as the example of humility. And so if we're talking about humility and awe, I think it, it, it actually bears a question. When did Jesus ever feel awe? You know, just how we feel that, that fear and awe are linked, I want to tell you, joy and awe are linked. And this is in Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's an awe-filled statement, right? He's seen the, the, the most amazing displays of the, God, of the kingdom of God's power, putting the, the evilness of the fallen world to right. And he has given that power to us. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's better than seeing the bad stuff? The good stuff, <laughs> right? What's better than seeing the terrible nature of this? The fact that humans can be the kindest creatures on the planet. The fact that we can love each other and come above the brokenness of this world and to reflect the glory of our Father who sent his Son to die for us. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. This is where it is, right? Whenever we're not being cynical, when we're not being jaded, when we're not trying to understand and to, to be the master of the universe, when we're not trying to hold all the answers ourselves and to be the, the end-all, be-all, know-it-all of all of this theological truth, but when we can just be like, oh my goodness, my Jesus loves me. My father sent his son. The God who made all of this is walking this earth in the flesh right now. When we can be confronted with the reality of God's kingdom come, how amazing and may it fill us with awe. So that's one of the senses where I wanted to point this out for Jesus, but there's two in particular that I think are, are really telling. The first is in Luke 7. And the second is in Mark 6. Uh, I'm going to start with the, the Luke 7. There, a centurion servant whom his master had valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. Um, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. We talked about that a few weeks back. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. 
for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. We got some humility happening. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. He was amazed. He had awe at this man's faith. He was amazed at a human. <laughs> like, just, just pause and allow yourself to say that Jesus, who was there, who saw Satan fall, <laughs> was amazed at a human for having faith. Mark 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Wow. (laughs) Jesus is amazed at the faith of the centurion and amazed at the lack of faith of people in his own town. How amazing, sorry to keep using the word, that Christ is looking at us, that Christ is looking at how we respond. He's looking at at humanity, and, and the way that we respond is amazing, both our strength and when we are being answering. I know you don't know that word. I have it up here on the screen for you. I, I was talking to, to Leah last night about what's a good word for like, you know, when the Southern people say, oh, bless his heart, you know? <laughs> like, it's not quite judgmental in itself. It, it's not like a, a real, it's, it's kind of like a, a oh, oh, poor you, you know what I mean? So I, the way that I read Jesus saying this, that he's amazed, it's not that he's judging them so much. It's like, oh, do you guys really not get who I am? Like, I'm amazed that you've missed this. You know me. Like, I amazed it's like a bless your heart moment that he's like, how could you miss this? How could he, you, you see the miracles, you see the sign, bless your heart. You, you're just not too bright, are you? You know, you're a little answering. Like this idea, it, it actually comes from the idea of being like a goose. Fun fact, that is the silly as a goose. This is related to that. But yeah, the, the second meaning being stupid or silly. So answering it's kind of the, the academic way of saying, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> so, I, Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. I don't quite get that judgmental sense, and I think it relates to what we find again in, in Mark 4. So, this will be our, our last one here. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crown behind, he, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus, who was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You can see why this was on my mind this week. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, 
Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were filled with awe and it brought them terror. <laughs> it's this idea of, of it can be joy-filled. It can be terrifying. It, it, it's, it's awesome and it's awful. It's this idea of realizing this world is so much bigger and harder and stronger and more ferocious than I've ever got in my air-conditioned car driving 10 miles to and from work. And, and it's so much more wonderful and incredible than what I see whenever I'm in my house and I, I don't go out and I don't look at the stars and I just have this limited view on things. Every now and then, our eyes are open to the reality of what we're actually doing in this life. Every now and then, we just get this glimpse of seeing, oh my goodness, this is an adventure. Oh my goodness, there's so much potential. There's so much to hope for. There's so much to long for. This life could mean so much. And I'm seeing just this little bit of it day after day. Jesus is here saying, I believe in this boat, almost like, how are you this thick-headed? <laughs> how, how are you missing? You've been walking with me. You've been talking with me. You've seen stuff. You know stuff. And yet you're still afraid whenever I'm in the boat with you? You still think that a storm is going to be the end of us? Like, how are, have you learned nothing over the past three years? You know, like, how is, and the disciples are just terrified. <laughs> Because again, it's like, I thought, I, I okay, it's safe that he heals people. It's good that he does that. It's, it's good that he says these really wise things. It's good that he can give us this teaching. But he is Lord of nature. It, there's more. There's a depth. There, there's all of this stuff. There's this, this old quote from, from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And every pastor has used this at least a dozen times. So I'm, I think I'm up on my second dozen of this one, right? But when they, they, they talk about Aslan, the, 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 the Christ figure in there, and the question is, is he safe? You all know the answer to this, right? Safe? No. But he's good. He's good. The waves, the storms, the wind, he controls them. We are, we are just a, a blink of an eye, to, to the Lord who has watched over all of eternity. We, we melt like wax. Like, is that safe for us? It's not safe for my body. <laughs> it, it, it's, not, it's not safe for my safe, controlled, understood plan for my life. It's not safe for my 401k. It's not, it's not safe for all this, this world and all the things that we might make it to be. But he is good. But he's good. And you can trust that. I think we have a hard time not evaluating safe and good at the same time. And I think this idea of, of being humble and coming to the throne, this idea of experiencing awe in light of who he is, is really the, the, the medicine our soul needs. I think this is a question for those of us who have experienced salvation. Were we defeated or have we been found to be in love? Were we humiliated or were we odd? What brought us to our knees? What brought us to a point of salvation? Like, where, where are we going this thing? Like, like, some people come, I know, kicking and screaming. <laughs> and those people who come kicking and screaming to the throne still fall in love. I, I, I don't know anyone who the Lord has humiliated into the kingdom of God. 
And yet we still feel that this idea of, of I don't want my sins to be made public. We still hold this idea of I don't want the darkness and I don't want my slow-natured way of thinking to be that transparent to other people. We still hold back because we have this pride in who we are. We don't really want to give in to this humility because it's like, well, my story, is, it's probably not like yours. I'm, I'm not as good as some of the other people in this room. Like, like we don't share that. We're afraid of the shame still. We are still battling with pride. When humility is this invitation to awe, it's this invitation to fall in love so that we don't have to worry about being defeated. We don't have to worry about having our, our arm twisted behind our back and forced to do things against our will. We, we misunderstand what it means to be a bondservant of the Most High because we think, I've lost myself then. I have no control over myself. I, it, it, it's, if I become a, a disciple of Christ, I won't even recognize myself. No, it'll be like when you're in love. And it'll be like that wonderful experience of saying, like, for, this, for Leah, I would do anything. Whenever Ava was born, it was, I would fight off a pack of wolves for this girl. When Karis was born, it was this specific child is worthy of all of my love. That, that idea of falling in love and devoting yourself to another person, but doing it so broadly, so beautifully, that it's not tied to romance. It's not tied to the, the narrow confines. Of the, it's actually better. It's deeper. It's that jaw-dropping fact that, that humans are the most human when we're being the most kind, when we're being the most loving, the way Christ called us to be in community, the way we're called to be when we're in the kingdom of God. Are we defeated or are we in love? Is it humiliation or are we awed? What makes one man shake in his boots and another shout for joy? How do we know that God is for us and not against us? And maybe you don't know, and that's utterly terrifying. And it, it is. I, I mean that with all sincerity. If you don't know that God is for you and not against you, this world can be a terrifying place. Because you don't know what's going to come next. You don't know what, what, what might be around the corner. And, and when that day comes or if something bad happens, I don't know if I'm safe or if he's good. Because you haven't spent that time looking in his face and learning him and knowing him. I love the ocean. I love going boogie boarding. I love body surfing. I wish I was better at board surfing. I don't get the chance that often. I've only done it a handful of times. But the raw power of the ocean is just tremendous. It humbles us and fills us with awe. And if you get too comfortable with it, you might get a wake-up call, right? It's this idea of like a, a small wave is safe and it's kind of fun and you feel it push you and there's this power, there's this might. But every now and then you might get caught in a little bit of a tussle and you're stuck underneath the waves and you can't find your way up. And, and all of a sudden the world is, is just dark and scary and terrible. And it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how big of a breath you took beforehand. You are outmatched. Lee and I were in uh, Hawaii, and uh, we were at the snorkeling reef, and there was a sea turtle. And uh, we got the bright idea to chase the sea turtle. And I, was, uh, I saw him, and, and uh, all of a sudden the sea turtle got to this little part of the ocean and just gusted away. And I realized, oh, that's not a good place to be. So I, I turned to go back, and um, I swam as hard as I could for about five, ten minutes and barely moved. And this idea of realizing the limitations of our flesh is not just physical. Can you ever undo an action that you've done? A harsh word that you say to your child, these are the ones that break my heart. 
I got up here. Here's a parenting fail. Uh, I f- sometimes I feel like people are comforted by, by knowing these things. I, I, I got up and, and uh, you know, did my normal routine, 6 a.m., doing all my prep for work. The kids are on summer break, so they're not up at 6 a.m. I go for the walk. I, I, you know, do whatever I can do. The dog's, you know, been fed and watered. Everything's good. I go to my first, like, six meetings of the day, not an exaggeration. You know, it's all fine and good. I'm thirsty. I go downstairs to get a drink, and, and Karis is finally up. And she's uh, playing the Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda game. She's got a smile on her face, and, and she, she just, you know, starts tell, telling me something lightly. And I'm in a sour mood for whatever reason with all the work that I've done. And I just get on her for something that happened the day before. Like, well, why did you say, why did you do this? And she just says, good morning to you too. And there was nothing I could do to take that back. I, I cost her, my daughter that first impression of that day, you know, because, it, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, okay, it's six hours later, where were, you know, all that sort of, you can rationalize this stuff. You can't undo these actions, right? You can't undo these actions. This is the limitation of who we are. It's not just the, way, the, the waves and the wind. It's not just the idea of being physically outmatched. The, the fact of time, the fact of, of my emotional energy, the investment that I can do, I, I, I can only do so much. And I can't undo things that I've done. I'm still a man in need of a savior. I want to talk quickly, though, about the dangers of awe as well. Because we can be lulled thinking that this is a game where that's to be taken lightly. Because I think what sometimes when we go from awe to awe, when you become like these adrenaline junkies, or you become conference seekers, or you become revival chasers, whatever you want to call, we're, we're, we're looking for that next like spiritual fix. We're looking for that the next high. And what, what happens is worship becomes performance rather than engagement. It turns the faith into a spectator sport with celebrities. Because what we're doing is we're not actually seeking the Father anymore. We're seeking that feeling of awe. Now, when we confront him, we do have awe, (laughs) right? But if we twist that dial just a little bit to make myself again the center of this attention, then I'm seeking awe because I want to feel this way. I'm not seeking him. I'm not seeking his will. I'm not trying to be a part of what he's doing on the earth. I'm just trying to feel that way again because it feels nice. And this subtle twist works its way into the church, and we become people who just sit through services. We, we, we want to find the tweetable quotes. We want to have the, the, the highest performance uh, that we can up on the stage. We, we want to get the best lights and all these sorts of things, and it has infected the church in such a way that I think we are so poorly discerning between what is the spirit of the Lord moving and what is just us feeling good about the human kindness in the room. It's not being about him. It becomes about us. It becomes a, a human condition, and all of this stuff could be controlled in a lab, and all of it could be just as secular as it is sacred. And what we're not seeing, what we're not experiencing is the actual awe of the Father, of the Creator God, of Jesus, His Son, of the Holy Spirit moving amongst His people. And we stop looking for it because we're satisfied with the cheap trick. We're satisfied with, with just the turn of a phrase. We're satisfied in some way saying, well, I guess that's all that there is to it then. And I guess this is it. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. Yeah, we, we, we talk about forgiveness of sins, but I guess all that really means is we just read the same stories again and again, and we say a nice prayer, and then we go our, our certain ways. Tricks 
hype manipulation rather than the real thing. If I go to a planetarium and this has happened, I don't want to see videos of the thing. I want to see the real thing. Don't, don't show me a video screen of the stars and the galaxy and everything. Show me actually there. Do you ever go out at the night and you look up at the stars and you're like, that doesn't look like what I see from the Hubble, <laughs> right? And we want to see the splendor of the picture on the right with the naked eye, but we don't see that. I mean, I, I know enough about astronomy because I love this and, and I use my telescope and all this stuff to, to understand what you see is what you see on the left there. Why? Because we're not capturing it over time. Because there's so little of that red light, so little of that color coming through that you have to stack the photos. You take this, this collection of all the information that's coming in, and it paints a better picture for you. It's a valid truth. Like, that's what this guy did. The, the one uh, the, on, on the left, that's just a single snapshot. He didn't know what he was doing. He put up a camera to his telescope. Snap. Done. There it is. That's Orion. And then on the other side, he learned how to capture pictures over time. The broader story of the galaxy the full expression of what's coming to us from the stars. And you stack those photos and you start to see what you see from the Hubble and all those other things from your backyard. We often live in a snapshot world, right? Where we judge whatever's happening based on what I see here and now. And we're missing out on the awe of the fullness of the kingdom of God. We're missing out on the fullness of what God's been doing all this because we think it's only about me. It's only about this one thing. It's only about this. But the reality of the kingdom of God, whenever it's not just about me, it's not just about this one moment, is so much more glorious. If we would have this collective sense of the, our collective testimony of the goodness of God across the ages, across generations, across this room, across our lives, what a better picture we have on the reality of who he is. And it's one of the reasons why Saturn is, by the way, so important to me, because those rings don't disappoint. You you look at that and you see them in a moment. And it's like, oh my goodness, there really are rings on Saturn. It's fantastic. Just an encouragement. You get that in the moment. It is there. But you don't get to see all of it, right? We have these, these little glimpses of glory. We have these little glimpses, these little moments, which are worth everything because they cause us to see things. And when you learn something, then you go to the next, right? And we are able to learn and see more and more, but may it educate us, may it train us, may it help us know how to go and be a discerning people, not a less discerning people, not a, not a selfish person, but discerning and passionate and embracing the fullness of this. This idea of the, the cheap tricks emotional manipulation. It's the flip side of worship. Every now and then I get into a theological tussle with myself over why we worship. You know, why, why we spend all this time and, and energy together in a room singing songs? Is it meaningful? Is it indulgent? But I believe that awe and worship are hand in hand. I believe that, that for a heart to actually confront the living God means that we have to be in awe. We stand in awe and worship. So church, when's the last time you felt awe? And this doesn't have to be in a religious sense. This is creator God who made double rainbows. When's the last time you allowed yourself to experience, really, the awe-inducing world that we're in, the awe-inducing kingdom of God that we find ourselves in? Is the church doing a good job in allowing or causing or introducing us to awe? Is it transactional? Is it short-sighted? Is it human? It's okay to critique. I give the churches at large and maybe even us like a D in this scale. I just don't think we're doing a good job. 
I think we've forgotten who we are. I think we've forgotten who our God is. I think that the pride that we have in what we can do and what we can say has choked out this idea of being awe-filled. Because once also you see the creator God, once you have that, then maybe people aren't as, as content to sit in chairs and listen to somebody talk for 45 minutes, right? Maybe it's not as control of a thing. Maybe, who knows all these things? Maybe it's just tiring chasing this. Maybe generation after generation, it's just easier to be short-sighted. I don't think we're doing a great job on this, but I think we need to. I, I really do. Like, I, I'm, I, I believe this wholeheartedly, that the church should be the place that allows us to see life as it's meant to be lived and encourages and inspires us to really get at that. We need to understand who we are and what we're about. How can we do this better? And this is not rhetorical. Really ask that. How can the church be a place to introduce people to awe? What can we do? How can we imagine? How can we hope? How can we believe this? I come back to this quote often, and I'll end with this. This is Annie Dillard from a book, uh, Teaching a Stone to Talk. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. This captures my heart. Because my God's not confined to the pages of a book. My God did not speak once 2,000 years ago and has been silent since. My God did not die on the cross for me and then forget all about me. But am I living my life with this reality? Am I actually engaged with what the Holy Spirit is doing here and now? Or do we forget? Or are we lazy? Or are we prideful? The answer could be all the above. (laughs) But I'm imploring us. I'm imploring myself to let God be God. To let God be God. To let the humble king rule and reign. That we can actually be a people that are not trying to argue or debate or, or, or fight with people to get them into heaven. To not, not trying to clear some checklist or, or make our, our assuage our guilt. But that we would have enough confidence in who the Lord is and his spirit that we could just point to the stars and say, my God made that. To look at a sunrise, to look at the beauty of that and say, do you feel that in your soul? Part of your soul is crying out, knowing that our God is good and made a beautiful thing. Let beauty do the talking. Let, let the glory of God be revealed before us as we celebrate and enjoy this. And that's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why our human kindness in praying and doing ministry matters. This is where we are the closest we get to be on a Sunday morning, I feel often, in experiencing awe is what we're about to do. So I'm going to do what I, what I do every week, and, and this is not to step away from that quote we just read, but with hope and longing to say, let's encounter God. Let's encounter God. Like, let's not be in a rush to get out of your hunger. We got food on the table. You can eat that. It'll, it'll, you, you won't starve. <laughs> if you've got kids, grab them. They can experience this stuff too. Save our Sunday school teachers. They need to be down here as well. But let's legitimately say, Lord, I want to encounter you. Lord, I want to be in awe of your kingdom come, 
I, I want to be overwhelmed. I want to experience you. Not just one glimpse. I've had a glimpse. Maybe you've been saved. Maybe you haven't been saved. We can bring you to the place where you can confront the brokenness of the life that came before with the grace you'll find in Jesus Christ. We would love to pray with you about that. But if you've already experienced that, what is next? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Do you understand how the gifts operate? Do you understand what happens whenever you minister to another person and the Holy Spirit moves and things are filled with hope where before they were dead? Does it imagine you whenever your soul is caught on fire that, that you feel inspired to write songs, to, to do poetry, to, to, to love a stranger? Allow awe to come into your heart as we encounter him in ministry and worship. Jessica, you want to come back up? Maybe that's a tall order. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to pray for us. It's an invitation to us, really. Because again, it's not, it's, it's really not about the music. It's about what's behind that. Why we use songs to understand, to encounter, to express. And this space, this time carved out where we say anything could happen. And I, I'm, I do believe that. Anything could happen. Holy Spirit could show up and, and, and we could, revival could break out. And, and, and this is the next hot spot where people are chasing down to come here. Or nothing could happen. You could be healed, you could be delivered, you could be freed, you could be given gifts. Anything could happen because the Lord is Lord because he's God of all. So I'm going to pray for us. This can be your dismissal, but it's an invitation to come and to encounter the living God here today. Jesus, by your blood, we have hope. By your blood, we draw close to experience something beyond this life, to experience something beyond what we can do with our two hands, something beyond finding an answer or a quick saying, but that we can hold mystery and marvel and awe without needing to to reduce it to a formula without trying to feel entitled and trying to get our own, not without trying to, to stretch our muscles and be the most important person in the room, we can come before you humbly and say, Lord, as you are, we celebrate you. We desire you. We want to be a part of your kingdom come. Have your way here, Jesus. That's why with humility we say, come Holy Spirit. Do what you will. We are people gathered by your name, humbled as we pray.